Hey, everybody. Howdy. Howdy. Well, see, that's cool. They don't say howdy in D.C. <laughs> so I just had to try it, and it worked. That's awesome. It's so great to see you. Uh, it is awesome to be back here uh, because I just love FaithBridge. So we're going to jump in, like Ken said, to the series we've been in. Um, but I just want to say it's always so fun to come back and see friends and uh, really to have my faith grow just by looking at God's faithfulness to this place. Uh, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's been fun to be in D.C. Like Ken said, I'll, I'll probably maybe tell some stories in the, in the course of the sermon, but, uh, you know, it's been a wild ride these last few months. It's an amazing church. We meet right in the center of Washington, D.C. So if you go, where do you meet? Just get a picture of the diamond of D.C., throw a dart at the center. That's where we are. We meet in a club right in the middle of it. So it's church in the club. And uh, <laughs> you never, sometimes the party's still going when we come to set up, you know. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, we've had to move people off stage uh, who were sleeping. We're like, you don't have to leave, but I do need you to scooch uh, right there. But it has been absolutely incredible. D.C., a third of the people in the city are between the ages of 20 and 35. So I don't know if that encourages or terrifies you to know that your government's run by 20-year-olds, but it is. And our church is full of them, and we love it. It's been an absolute honor to get to minister to that community. Our setup and security team includes all four branches of the military, multiple members of uh, various intelligence agencies and at the Pentagon. So we are the safest church on the planet. <laughs> I am not worried about that at all. But one thing I do think about all the time is, you know, churches aren't built on the gifts of a few. It's on the sacrifices of the many. And you can't launch a church and think the people there are going to give to make it happen. They don't know you, and it's just starting. And so Ken rallied all of you uh, um, a few years ago to uh, put the first money in to launch us. And so I just want you to know, I think about FaithBridge all the time because we exist in D.C. because of you. And the fruit that we're seeing, you have a piece of that because of your faithfulness. So I wanted to say thank you before I jump into the text to you. And I specifically want to honor your pastor, Ken. Uh, there's, there's a few things you look back in life at and go, you know, that didn't work how I thought it was. That, that worked out okay. That was a surprise hit. And I had no idea as a 22-year-old, one of the best decisions of my life was being made when I decided to follow that man and trust him. You have an amazing pastor, and he continues to be an amazing pastor to me. And I just want to honor him and say, what an amazing place. And um, it's fun to be back. So if I sound hoarse, it's because I did chapel at A&M. Uh, apparently not aggressively enough. Uh, we didn't have a good day. But uh, if I start yelling at you, you'll kind of know where that's coming from. But uh, uh, and uh, anyway, so let me jump in. I want to read to you from Numbers 13 and 14. That's where we are in the series. And so I'm going to read kind of a big block of the story of where we are now so we can get it loaded in our heads and then we'll comment on it as we go. So Numbers 13, if you'd like to turn there, there's Bibles available if you don't have one, or you can uh, uh, turn yours to Numbers 13 or just listen carefully and I will read it to you. So Numbers 13 uh, beginning in verse one says this. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are weak or strong and whether there are few or many and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they dwell in are 
camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time of season was the first ripe grapes. And at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the cities or spying out the land. And they told them that we've come to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people. They are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying this land to which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw in it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. The people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones will become a prey. Would it not have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. Land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of this land. They're bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. That's called a rough day of preaching. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe me in spite of all the signs I've done among them? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies will fall in the wilderness and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun, but your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for the few minutes we have around your word. Help us understand how to have the faith to move forward. And I want to invite all of you, if you're willing, to just take a minute. Maybe you haven't done this in a while, but I want you personally to talk to God, and you ask him, if you mean it, Lord, please teach me today from your word. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, several years ago, I had the opportunity to navigate an obstacle course on a Navy SEAL base. 
And by obstacle course, really what it was was a series of ropes suspended about 10, 15 feet above an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And so you would negotiate these ropes until your forearms burned out and you would plummet uh, into your failure. But as I got there, uh, the way you start the thing is they have you climb this high dive, and then from the high dive, there is a rope that you're meant to swing from and then exit from and grab onto a cargo net. Looks pretty crazy. And as I stood there with the guy who brought me, Navy SEAL, I was looking at this place, and I was like, that's nuts. And he was like, yeah, I know, but here's the deal. He said, the mechanics of that rope, if you just try to Tarzan swing, you're not going to make it to that cargo net. He said, here's the deal. When you get on that high dive, jump off. He said, but you need to kick your feet up and your head back, throw your legs around the rope so you'll be swinging backwards and upside down, but it's fine because as the rope crests to its height, you will suddenly emerge on top of the rope. Then you release the momentum will throw you forward and you grab onto the cargo net and continue. And I was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. It's fine. And, uh, so we get up there and I'm standing on that high dive like, whoa, 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 this is taller than I thought. And sure enough, he's like, no, let me show you. And he just grabs it and does this like Cirque de Soleil move and grabs the cargo net. And I'm like, um, and so I grab it and I'm like, this is crazy. I don't want to do this. And I remember as I looked at it, I thought, forget it, man. I think I got it. I think I just got to choke up on the rope a little bit. I'm going to do a Ben's way. Relax. I got this. And so I grabbed it and did the little Tarzan thing. Bam, hit the water right away. And I remember as I hit the water, I was confused. Like, why did this not work? And I was frustrated until the thought dawned on me, I'm at the Navy SEAL obstacle course. Maybe I should listen to the Navy SEAL. I don't know. As crazy as it sounds, uh, I decided I'm gonna try it. So I got back up there and was like, I gotta do this. You can't just say, no thanks, it's scary. You know, I was like, all right, we, I have to. And so I grabbed the rope and sure enough, jumped, threw my head back, threw my leg over it, swinging backwards and upside down. And sure enough, as the rope began to crest, I looked up and there was a cargo net. And I'm like, you've gotta be kidding me. I released and the momentum threw me forward and I grabbed it and I was like, did you see what I just did? Tell me someone filmed this, that was amazing. And I got to have this incredible new experience. Why? Because of faith. That's why. Only reason I got to experience that was because of faith. It's faith that moved me forward. That's what this message is about. Faith to move forward. That's how it works, right? That if you want to experience blessing, you got to embrace belief. If you want to experience reward, you got to embrace risk. I won't get where I want to go unless I trust you. As crazy as it sounds, let me trust you because you know better. And if I embrace faith, that's going to move me forward. And why am I saying this? Because a lot of people I talk to in the world today feel stuck and frustrated, particularly at my age, as I approach middle age, a lot of guys wonder where their life's going. They feel stuck. They feel stalled out. And I talk to people all the time that they feel like they can't move forward. I want to accomplish more in life. I want to experience more of a thrill in life. I want to have a life that has a sense of purpose and mission. I want to wake up every day believing I'm a part of something big. And I was like, do you want to step out beyond the life you're living now? Yeah. Well, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always be where you always are. Let me say that again. If you always do what you've always done, you will always be where you always are. You want to step into something new, you have to step into something new. You want to move forward, that requires faith. You want to experience blessing, that requires belief. You want the reward, you got to take the risk. And that's where we are today in this text. And we all know this, by the way, incidentally, that this is how life works. 
This is what God does to us. You got to trust me and extend. You did this with your children. I just recently did it with the three of mine. They're all moving around now, but I remember teaching them to walk. And I remember looking at them and saying, okay, here's the deal. I know you love crawling, but I'm going to stand you up on these two little appendages. And I want you to try to walk across the room. And you see in their face, it strains your credibility in their eyes. They're like, you want me to do what? Walk on, no, no. I get more coverage this way. I'm going to crawl. And you're like, look, trust me. Humans have been doing this for years. It's going to open up a whole new world of possibility if you'll try it and they have to trust you. And if they do and begin to waddle forward, a whole new life of mobility opens up. I remember for me, riding bikes, I was getting really frustrated as a kid because I would always get smoked by all the other kids on my street. And I remember finally going to my mom and saying, I don't understand it, why I keep getting beat. I understand why the older kids can outbike me. I don't understand why these younger kids are passing me. And I remember she was like, well, Ben, it's because you still have the training wheels on. <laughs> and she said, it's gonna be that way till you take them off. And I remember when she said that, I was like, no, no, I have four wheels. They have two. I, I should be doubly crushing them. I have twice as many wheels. I remember just thinking like, you don't know what you're talking about, lady. And after a while I realized, but I can just keep doing it my way and get beat? Or I can try something new and maybe enter a new existence. You see it? It's only by faith we're gonna move forward. And some of us, maybe you're back here in church because you're realizing, hey, the way I'm living life, the way I'm raising my kids, the way I'm making decisions isn't working. My marriage isn't working. How do I move forward? And let me tell you something. I'm not just telling you to have faith in something nondescript, right? I don't want you to have strong faith in a weak object. That's a dumb thing to do, right? Well, I'm just gonna trust this three-year-old to fly the plane. Bad choice. <laughs> I'd rather you have weak, trembling faith in a strong object than strong faith in a weak object. But what I really want for you is strong faith in a strong object. And let me tell you something, you are meant to live by faith. The Bible will say that all things are made by God, and, and most people actually believe that. But then Colossians goes on to say, and all things are made for him. Augustine says our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And some of us, we're trying to find our rest in so many other places. When he says, man, you want to find out what your life's about? You weren't made for that job. You weren't made for that relationship. You weren't made for those accolades. You weren't made to be famous. You were made for me by me, for me. And if you trust me, I will lead you and I will use you and get you places you never dreamed possible, but you gotta trust me. You need to have faith to move forward. And that's where we are in this text. Back in Genesis, when humanity walked away from God and everything broke, it was the great tragedy of Genesis 3, our dislocation from the heavens. You feel dislocated in the world? You are. We are not connected to God the way we're meant to be. And yet God grabbed little Abraham and said, I want you to trust me and go for a walk. Leave your daddy's business. Leave the safety and security of your home. Take a walk with me. I'm going to lead you to the center of the known world, literally what was called the navel of the nations with cities all around her. I'm going to put you at the center of the world, not in a safe place, Abraham, but a strategic place. And I'm going to lead you there. And if you trust me, I'm going to bless you with a kid and your kids are going to bless the whole world. And Abraham followed him. And then in Genesis 15, God told him, hey, you're going to have a kid. He's going to have a kid. That kid's going to have a lot of kids. Those are going to become tribes of kids. That tribe of kids is going to become slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 
He told them that back in Genesis. And he said, and 400 years later, I'm gonna set them free and I'm gonna lead them into this land of promise and through you, there will come a seed that will bless the whole world. And that happened. And so as we've gone through this series, you saw these tribes of the nation of Israel, these children of Abraham were enslaved in Egypt and then God rose up a Moses, let my people go. And he led those people out and God made a way. I'm gonna march you up into a Red Sea. There's no way across. And then I'll hold the staff out, the sea parts, and I will lead you through it. I'll lead you into a desert where there is no water and I will strike a rock and have water come forth. I'll lead you out where there's no food and I'll have dust become bread on the streets and I'll have quail just land right next to you. Just, whoa, and you'll just, I'm gonna take care of you so that step by step by faith, you move forward to get you to the promised land. Why was it called that? Because it was promised to Abraham. I want your people there because from there, they're gonna bless the whole world. And where we are today is they walk up right to the edge of the land of promise. And God says, now you're about to culminate what I've been calling you to, to take your rightful place, rise up my people and step forward into all that God has to you. Have the faith to go forward. Trust me, I've been working on this. And then something goes wrong. They say, let's send some spies in. Let's send them in to check it out. And they go in there and they check out the land and they say, hey, this land is as good as he said it is. It is filled with milk and honey. It's got livestock. It's got beautiful agriculture. It's fantastic. What's interesting, though, is all through the Old Testament, as this land's mentioned, it's called the land of milk and honey that God has promised to his people. They get there and they say, this is a land full of milk and honey. However, these guys are big and they're scary. And everything he said was awesome, but the sons of Anak are there. Anak means neck. He's like, there's some tall dudes in there. And uh, there's Hittites living in the hill country. They moved into Fredericksburg and bought up all the property. And, uh, rather than step out in faith, they start calculating all their fears. Rather than trusting the words of God, they begin to listen to their worry. Anybody ever heard of that? It's just something that happened in the Old Testament. Anybody else experience that? I run into it all the time when I talk to people. Their perspective is skewed because they focus on their problems rather than on God's promises. And I hear it all the time. People come up and say, Ben, I'm wrestling with doubt. Maybe I grew up reading this. Maybe I grew up with this thing, and I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if God's there for me. I don't know if God cares, and it's messing with my sense of identity. I'm really wrestling. And so I'll quote to them the words of God. Ephesians 4 says, we are members of one another, so let's speak the truth to one another in love. And in doing that, by all things, we will grow up into the head who is Christ, into the full maturity of the sons of God. Therefore, we will no longer be blown back and forth by every wind and wave of doctrine. You are shaken up by all these competing philosophies that rise up today and will be gone tomorrow. And how do you get stability? He has shown you, oh man, what is good. He's told you that we are members of one another. Speak the truth to one another in love. You need to get into a community where you speak the truth to one another. You need to prioritize being around the people of God. This is the appointed means he has given you to grow. And they'll say, so you tell me to go to church? Yes. <laughs> well, I tried a church and I didn't really like it. Did you give up on dentistry because you ran into a bad dentist? No. So don't give up on church because you went to one you didn't like. Find a different one. Well, I walked in there and I didn't know anybody. Right. So you meet them and get in the community with them and risk 
that maybe God's word is true and that his appointed means is what he uses to build you up. And yet a lot of people, that social fear keeps them out, and particularly a lot of men. And they come up with other reasons. I'm too busy. It's like, no, you're not. You're just scared, and it's hard to say that. It's, and I understand it. I'm an introvert. I'll show up in my own church sometimes and be like, oh, man. But every time I go in, I'm glad I'm there. And so I understand it, but I get to people who say, no, I want a strong faith. Well, God's shown you how to do it. The community speaks the word of God to each other. Well, I don't wanna do that. I just wanna get it from home. Why won't God just strengthen my faith? Why won't he take my doubts away? He's given you the way to get it. It's through his word and his community. Well, I don't wanna submit to that. To me, that's like somebody saying, well, man, I really wanna eat this sandwich, but I don't wanna use my arms. Why won't it just jump into my mouth? Come on, man. Hey, we love the passive salvation of God, and we should. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. The people of Israel were slaves, and God said, you be still and watch me work. That's what he said at the Red Sea. He's like, you sit still, you watch me, and I will set you free. I will break the bonds of your slavery. I will name you my children, and I will lead you into freedom. And that was a picture of what he does to us in Jesus. You're bound to your sin. You can't fix you. Everyone in here is a mess. Jesus came to live that perfect life. You could not to break the power of sin by burying it in the grave and rising victoriously and giving you a new name. You are not defined by your past, your failures, your addictions, anything. You are known as a son and daughter of the king by the finished work of Jesus. He's adopted you into his family. You are known and loved by him. That's true of you if you're in Christ and you didn't do a thing. That's why the Bible uses birth imagery. Little babies don't help mom come into the world. They're entirely passive participants. And they come out because of the pleasure of their parents. And it's the same with the gospel. You are born into God's family by his grace, not by your efforts. But as soon as you enter his family, he says, that was a free gift, but now I want you to grow. And so by faith, I'm gonna make you move forward because if I don't force you to use your legs, you will always be a weak person. And I don't want weak kids. It's love that sets you on the floor and makes you learn how to walk. Now he doesn't walk away, set you on the floor and go figure it out, good luck and leave. He's like, I'm with you, but I'm gonna make you rise up child. And I'm gonna make you trust me and I'm gonna make you listen to me and I'm gonna make you walk with me. So I have people who come and say, man, I got conflicts in my relationships. I got this person that hurt my feelings and I'm thinking about it all the day and I'm kind of ruminating on it and I'm frustrated. I show up to work all bitter and resentful. I was like, you know what? Jesus talked about this in the gospels. He said, if anyone sins against you, go to him in private. And if he repents, you've won a brother over. And if he doesn't, take another brother. And if that doesn't work, take more. And God's given you actually a program of reconciliation with people who've hurt your feelings. You got to go confront them. And I'll tell people that and they're like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. You're like, well, well, Jesus told you that's how to solve relational conflict, by not coming in arrogant, but coming in humbly and in love, but confronting, not to destroy, but to win back. That's what you're meant to do. And do it in privacy. Don't shame them. Don't just blast them online uh, passive aggressively. You go talk to them. They go, well, I don't want to make it awkward. Well, is it awkward now? Yeah. Okay. So right now you're standing in guaranteed awkward. What you got in the word of God is potentially awkward or potentially awesome that you could reconcile a relationship and win a brother back. If you're willing to listen to Jesus and I meet people who go, I don't wanna do that, then you're not gonna move forward. You're just not. I talk to people that are locked up in addiction. They say, I need to get off this. I got into some things and I can't get out of them. And James was very clear. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. It's fascinating, you know, Pornography addiction is a big deal. I run into that constantly. 
in DC, you see the stark picture of meth addiction on the streets every day. And I was talking with a counselor about it the other day, and he was like, once people go down that road, it's almost impossible to get off it. I was like, how do you get off it? And he's like, well, you know, there's doctors and medication, but you have to have a strong community around you of brothers and sisters that love each other, and you have to feel like a contributing member of that group, not just the little passive victim they carry. You have to be a strong, committed member of a community that's helping each other walk into healing. And I'm like, that's what James said. And so I talked to guys who are stuck in addiction. I was like, you gotta confess, not just to the Lord for forgiveness, you have that. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. What's hurting you is you want healing and God's given you an appointed means called us. So step into that relationship. Step into the risk of sharing with somebody. Everybody struggles with temptation, here's mine. And I'll talk to people that go, no, I don't wanna do that. You know, that's the doorway out. So if you don't wanna walk through that doorway, you're not gonna get out. But God has shown you, oh man, what's good. And if you focus on the size of your problems, you're gonna stay locked up in fear. But if you focus on the size of your God, you can step out and move forward in faith. And that's what he's calling them to here. They get locked up in the fear. They get locked up in the concern about what's gonna happen if they walk in there. And did you notice what happens to them? The more they focus on their problems, the more it amplifies their fear. When they first came in, they were like, I don't know, the Amalekites there, there's some big boys. There's some Jebusites in there, there's some Hittites in there. And Caleb speaks up, which I love Caleb, because Caleb just goes, ah, let's go. And there's no like theological argument. There's not much to preach out of Caleb. He's just like, eh, right? And you're like, I love that guy. I like him. You want him on your team. But as he says that to them, they start to freak out. And did you notice that's when they were like, well, they're not just Amalekites. They're, uh, they're Nephilim. We saw Neph- there were Nephilim in there. And Nephilim were the demigods of Genesis chapter one. And they were like, there's, there's Nephilim in there. The, the ground itself is devouring people. The, the ground eats people. And we were like grasshoppers to, to, to ourselves. And even to them, they saw us as grasshoppers. We're like, I thought you were spies. They saw you and they're like, don't worry about that. They're gonna kill you. They're gonna kill your family. They're gonna kill your kids. We're all gonna die. And you notice everyone starts to freak out. The more you focus on your problems, the more you amplify your fears. And some of us, that's what keeps us stuck. We just focus on, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. Gonna... You know, I talk to people out there like, man, I really wanna have a healthy, godly relationship. I wanna, I wanna walk with the Lord. I'm dating somebody though that doesn't wanna do that. And I'm like, you know what? The Bible talks about that. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't bind yourself to somebody that doesn't wanna walk with you towards the glory of God and the biggest things of life. Now, if you're already bound together in marriage, don't get out. There's a different set of texts for you. But if you're dating, you go, if that person doesn't wanna follow the Lord, y'all are going different directions. Don't bind yourself together with them. But I'll talk to them and go, well, if, I think this is the best person I'm gonna get. And so if I break up with them, what's gonna happen? If I break up with them, maybe they're the best person to come along. So maybe I'll be alone. Maybe I'll be alone the rest of my life. Maybe nobody will like me. Maybe I'll be like Miss Havisham in great expectations, sitting alone in a wedding dress, eating a moldy cake, like they all left me. And you're like, whoa, 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 stop. (laughs) Don't let that focus on your problems amplify your fears. Don't let it do it. Because, man, you will miss out, you will drown out the word of God in doing something like that. Hey, I want to go and confront a brother in love, but he's going to reject me. And then I'm going to be friendless and a loser and alone, and it's going to be horrible. And you go, no, man, no, you trust the Lord, and you let him lead you. Trust him. Follow him. He knows what he's doing. This isn't a mistake, what he's doing here. You want to prosper, you want to flourish, you walk humbly with your God. You walk humbly with your God. The sad thing is they're gonna amplify their fear and when they amplify their fear, they start to point fingers. You notice that? 
They don't say, well, you know what it is? It's our insecurity, Moses, because of our lack of maturity in the faith. They say, God sent us here to kill us. Moses is a bad leader. They start to just point fingers at everybody else. The community unravels the more we give in to fear. And fear becomes finger pointing and the whole thing unravels. And by the end of it, they're ready to stone their very leaders. But Joshua, well, and here's the sad thing, just to end that depressing note, God gives them what they want. God's like, you don't want to go into the land of promise, you don't have to go. You want to start walking back to Egypt, start walking. You want to keep wandering in the desert, you'll wander in the desert. And that's the harsh reality. I remember sitting in a hospital room with a guy that is multiple rounds of being in the hospital uh, with addiction to alcohol. And for him, it was just robbing his health and robbing him of so much. And people tried to help him, surround him, support him, and he just kept in the cycle of deteriorating health. And I was standing in that hospital room when this Russian doctor walked in. And, you know, normally there's that gentleness now, we language, well, we need to drink fluids. He just walked in, he was like, do you want to stop drinking or not? <laughs> We're like, what? Do you want to stop drinking or not? You want to stop, we help you. He said, we'll all help you. You don't, you go home, crawl in a bottle, you die soon. And it was so arresting, we were just all sat there in silence, but it was true. He says, I have the path out, do you want it? If you want it, we'll be with you. We'll be with you in the fight. If you don't want it, that path does not lead to life. And God looks at them and says, I'm trying to lead you into something more. You wanna follow me? I made you. I have your path before you, trust me. In all your ways, acknowledge me, I will make your path straight. But they say, we don't want that. He's like, then you're gonna wander in the wilderness. And that's it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna look to your children in the next generation. And I just don't want that for you. I don't want you to miss out on the blessings of God in your life because fear has kept you locked up when faith wants to call you forward. And some of you, you can't even see what God wants to do in your life how he wants to make you a mentor of young kids in this community, how he wants to make you a friend to hurting people, how he wants to use you to help some of the addiction crises in our city, how he wants to leverage your influence to bring healing in your office. Some of us don't even have a vision of how much God wants to use you because we're so locked up and know life's gonna stay like this. And if you always do what you've always done, you'll always be where you always are. But God is calling you forward. Will you trust me? Will you read my word and believe it? Will you excel at the revealed things Will you walk with my community and you watch how I will use you to change your life? What's the focus that'll help us? Well, let's not look at the Israelites anymore. They didn't end up in a good spot. Let's look at Joshua because he gives us two ways to walk by faith and not fear. Joshua tells them to look at the past. He says, look at the past. Deuteronomy chapter one, he said it this way, don't be in dread. The Lord your God goes before you. He himself will fight for you. He says, just as he did in Egypt before your eyes in the wilderness where you'd seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carried his son, all the ways that you went up, you came out of this place. That's one way to settle the fear and rise in faith. He said, look to the past. Look at God's faithfulness in the past. Did you trust him with your soul? Then you can trust him with your relationships. Did you trust him back then to take care of your family? And now you have a family. Did you trust him back there to provide for you? And maybe it didn't always go the way you wanted, but you're provided for, you're here. Can you look to your past and see his faithfulness? And will that give you the faith to go forward? And then you look to his promises. He has promised us this land. He will lead us into it. If you look back and say, God's been faithful to me, 
and then God promises me in his word he'll take care of me, that will help you silence the fear and move forward in faith. I promise it will. For me, that's where I've been living. I gotta tell you, starting this church in D.C. was scary. For me, there were so many times I thought it would be so much easier if I would have just stayed in Houston. I know people in Houston. I know buildings in Houston. I know where money is in Houston. I've got none of that in D.C. And I'm not saying people in Houston don't have faith or something. I don't believe that at all. But the more I sought the Lord, I was like, you know what? I think God has put some clear things on my heart to minister to young people and to take his word to the lost. And I look around Houston and men like Ken are just crushing. And you look in D.C. And I remember when Don and I showed up there, we're like, there's some amazing churches in D.C., but not at the volume of a city like Houston. And so you know what? There's a need here. 40% of the churches in my neighborhood, which is Capitol Hill, called that because it's the same hill the Capitol's on, 40% of the churches closed over the last 10 years. I can drive you by them. They're all condos. One's about to be a nightclub. And yet I show up there and it's all young people. And it's young people that you'd have to set up a portable church in. And I've been ministering to young people through a portable ministry for over 10 years. And I realized this Karate Kid moment, God has built me for this. Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be doing this. And Donna and I, a lot of fear came in. And we started to realize we didn't want to be in Houston because we loved the people of Houston. That's true. We were wanting it because it's safe. And that's the bad reason to make that decision. But the more we prayed and sought counsel, the more we thought we believe this is where God is calling us. And as we stepped out in faith, let me tell you, it's, it's scary to throw a party and not know if anyone's gonna come. If you ever wonder, what does church feel like? It feels like when you throw a party at your house and you go, did you check the RCPs again? How many people said they were going? Do we have enough chips? Oh my gosh. And it's just freaky every Sunday. It's like, oh, are they gonna come? And uh, when you show up in a city, you don't know anybody. That's a real question mark. But I, it's probably every single week my mind instantly goes back to Faith Bridge in a living room. And the first time I walked in, wearing a suit, because no one told me the rules. And so I walked in in the suit to Donna Moak's living room, and they're all sitting around in like shorts and flip-flops. I'm like, oh man. And uh, the pastor was on the keys, and Ken led worship. And I'll never forget, he led the last song, and he was like, bum bum, okay, everyone open your Bibles. I was like, oh man, he's doing it all today. This guy's working. And... He went from playing those keys to teaching us the word of God, and he just relied on the two simple things we have, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow. I'm gonna give you the word of God, and he would just open up the word and teach it to people. And then we loved people really well. And we had some flyers, they were a little cheesy. Uh, we got Cleb, but it wasn't like people were like, man, I gotta get in Cleb, I gotta check that place out. You know, it's like, eventually got a middle school, but you know what we had? We had the word of God and we had the people of God. And I watched God grow a church and I watched Ken lead. And for me, when I started building this thing, I just think back to the men I watched trust God and watch God care for them. And it bolsters my faith to step out, to believe, to say, I'm gonna we'll live like that. I wanna be a part of what I saw God do. The more I look at the past, the more it calms my fear and raises my faith. That's the story I wanna live. I wanna run like that. And then I look to the promises of God. He's been faithful in the past. He will be faithful now. For me, I remember when it came time, I got an opportunity to write a book. I, I didn't, uh, I had a book I wanted to write and I sat for three months trying to write it and I couldn't do it. Sat staring at a page. 
But then I remember once to give myself a mental break, I thought God had called me to these young people and they're so hurting because their relationships are a mess. And so just as a mental break, I sketched out a 12 chapter book on dating for young people. And I was like, oh no. I think God wants me to write this book. And I'm like, I don't wanna be the dating guy. I don't, I do not want that. But every time I tried to study this, nothing. When I tried to study this, everything. When I was reading the word of God, it's just blowing up to me, the hurt of these kids. And I, I felt what Jesus felt when he saw the crowds. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them, so he taught them many things. And that verse just kept hitting on me. Look at these lost people. I have a word that can help them. So who cares about my reputation? I want to write something that will help these sheep. They're harassed and helpless. So I wrote a book on dating and then moved to Washington, D.C. And I thought the book was my swan song to... Uh, college students. I'm like, here's the best I can do for you. Good luck. You know, and then I moved to Washington and I remember that maybe the second time in life, I put a suit on, walked into the Capitol, sat with the chief of staff of the Senator there and said, how can I serve you? How can I serve your people? And he went, nobody knows how to date. He said, it's a town full of single people and their relationships are a mess. He was like, even the married people, their relationships are a mess. He said, do you think you'll talk about dating? And I was like, I'll see what I can do. About a month later, I got called from the chaplain of the Senate. And before the church even started, I was in a suit speaking in the Senate. And I'm like, what, what, what am I doing here? I remember we started community groups and we would just teach the gospels, show people Jesus, and sit them in circles. And people would walk in and be like, there's no music? You're like, no, not today, there's no music. They're like, you want us to sit and talk about our feelings? And I remember I had a girl come up to me afterwards and she was like, I just knew this wasn't gonna work. She was like, the minute you stood up there, I was like, hey guys, we're just gonna read the Bible and then get in community and talk to people. She was like, this guy doesn't get DC at all. She was like, I couldn't get out fast. I was like, you don't know what you're doing. People here don't talk about their feelings. She said, but sure enough, you asked people to discuss the word of God. And this girl opened up and she said, and then the next thing I know, I was hearing myself talk and I hadn't even stopped to think about my life. And then I'll never forget what she said. She said, it was like, I suddenly realized I was starving to death, but I didn't even know how thirsty I was until you took that glass of water and set it in front of us. And it was like all the years of thirst came right when a glass of water was put in my hand. And she said, this is my church, I'm coming back. And we weren't cute, we weren't hip, but we had the word of God and we had the people of God. And we had people saying, that's not gonna work. But now we're running out of space. And every now and again, I look at that and I'm like, where are we gonna get a building? How are we gonna do it? How are we gonna afford it? What's gonna happen? Oh my God, I'm a cautionary tale. And I'm like, wait a second, no, no, no. He's been faithful in the past, and he'll be faithful now. Will you trust him? And let me tell you, I know some of you go, I don't have a past where I can look to the faithfulness of God. I don't have a Ken in my past. I got wreckage in my past. Well, you just keep looking further back. Joshua, it's interesting, we don't have time to go into all this, but his name was not Joshua till this moment. His name was Hoshea. It means salvation. Moses changed his name. You can do that when you're Moses. Moses just said, no. He said, I'm not calling you that anymore. He said, I'm calling you Yeshua. He changed it a little bit. It doesn't mean salvation. It means Yeshua, the Lord saves. 
uh, Yeshua is Hebrew. In the Greek translation, which most of the New Testament's written, it's translated Yesu. When you Anglicanize it and throw a bunch of J's in, you can say Joshua, same letters, what we use to pronounce Jesus. Jesus. It's the Lord who saves. He does it. I don't have to figure out how to plant a church in D.C. I've got to figure out how to follow him. And as I've presented people Jesus, they're living lives of faith and their lives are changing. And can I tell you something? Study the life of Jesus. Walk with the people of Jesus. Stay into his word and walk step by step with him. Try it. Try speaking kindness instead of cursing. Try meditating on his word instead of meditating on the sports channel every day. Just pick one day and say, I'm going to meditate on his word in the car. I'm going to read a verse and just think about it. See what it does to the way your mind works. Begin to get around his people and risk building friendships. In a lonely, isolated culture, risk swimming against the stream. Risk walking with him, learning about him. Look back at the person of Jesus. See his promises for you. And then walk on trembling legs into the future with him. I promise you, there's blessing in the belief if you trust him. Thank you, Lord. That we don't have to be perfect, but you were. That we don't know how to save us, so you sent a savior. That we are children, and you're a good father. And so thank you, Lord, that the way this whole thing starts is not with us ginning up our courage. It's with us coming to you and admitting I need a rescuer, I need a Joshua, I need Yeshua, I need Jesus to come help me. I'm the sheep harassed and helpless. That's who I am. And this whole relationship starts like a child into the world. It is completely by the power of the parent. And so you look to Jesus today, friend, and tell him, I want you, save me. I want you, rescue me. I want you, forgive me, adopt me. You put your faith in him today. And then God, for those of us who would say, I'm a person of faith, I'm a man of faith, I'm a woman of faith, I have faith in Jesus, let us not say it and then not do it. You told us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say? He said, that doesn't make any sense. If you believe me, I want you to believe me. If you trust me, I want you to trust me. With your relationships, with your career, with your money, with your mouth, with your decisions, with your ego, I want you to trust me. And I just wonder if across our rooms right now, he's bringing something to your mind that you can tell him, I wanna trust you in this area. I've been saying I'm a person of faith, but I haven't had any faith in this part of my life. I wanna trust you. I wanna let your word speak to me here. I wanna believe you here and not let fear drown out your voice. I don't wanna just say I'm a person of faith. I wanna walk by faith. I want my children to see me walk by faith. Tell him that today. Let's let faith rise in this house today.